This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. There are some advantages to implying anhydrous ammonia this time of year rather than waiting till spring before planting corn, but there are some risks too. Anhydrous shouldn't be applied in the fall until soil temperatures get below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. With the current turn in weather, we are likely to get below that now. The Kansas Mesonet Station in Parsons can be useful to find what the approximate soil temperatures are. Besides soil temperature, there is a sweet spot for soil moisture as well. Too wet and the injection points smear the soil, and the clothing wheel doesn't fold up the soil so some of the gas escapes. Too dry and the soil is crumbly so the gas leaves through the cracks before finding enough moisture to dissolve into the water. We will likely soon have periods of the right soil moisture. The recent rains haven't even come close to filling the soil profile, so it's not too muddy like it often is this time of year. The advantages applying in the late fall is largely to save time this spring, but also because the spring rains often get in the way of the application window. Ideally, spring implied in hydrus needs to be applied a couple of weeks before planting corn due to the risk of the ammonia killing the seed at the site of application. At times, trying to find that dry spell in the spring to plant corn is hard enough. Anhydrous ammonia relax fairly quickly, but not instantly, with soil water to convert it into ammonium, and then the ammonium is retained on the soil cationic exchange capacity. The goal in applying in the cold soil is to keep the ammonium where it'll stick onto the clay surfaces and stay fairly immobile until spring. The risk of applying anhydrous in the late fall is losing it to denitrification before the corn gets planted. The change from ammonia to nitrate is dependent upon soil pH, moisture, and temperature, basically anything that affects the soil microbes. In the spring, if the rain delays the corn from getting planted when the soil warms up, then denitrification would increase nitrogen losses. It is difficult to calculate how much denitrification has taken place and is often uneven throughout a field. However, it could mean the need for a top dress nitrogen application on young corn. It might also be a good idea not to put all the eggs into the fall anhydrous basket and still just plan for a split application of some nitrogen fertilizer in the spring anyways. The ammonia itself has some microbial limiting effects because it is caustic, but also the nitrification inhibitors such as Inserv or Sertrino can keep ammonia from converting into nitrates. Some publications say we are too far south in this part of Kansas and Missouri to risk fall implied anhydrous but there aren't any specific guidelines. Here in Southeast, we are commonly pressed for time in the spring to get corn planted in our heavy clay soils that often take a long time to dry out after a rain. However, those same wet soils delay planting and can increase the risk for denitrification. The long range climate outlook is giving a probability that the next few months should be drier than usual, but we might actually get back to a somewhat normal rainfalls by spring. If you have any questions over soil fertility, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. The third trimester of pregnancy is a crucial stage. The fetus is growing rapidly, and it's the last chance to improve body condition prior to birthing. The start of this critical stage is easily missed, the growth of the fetus isn't totally obvious, and livestock are putting on their winter coat this time of year, making body condition deceptive. 
The third trimester start date is based on the date the female was exposed to the herd sire. So, if a bull was put in with the cows on May 1st, the critical date could be November 6th, depending on actual conception, based on the 283-day gestation period of cattle. Sheep and goats have a 150-day gestation period, and swine gestate for around 114 days. The critical date can be nailed down further by pregnancy checking, either by palpation or ultrasound. Fetal growth is exponential during the third trimester, with blood flow increasing three to four times from mid to late gestation. In the final third of pregnancy, 75% of the fetal growth occurs, 60 pounds of an 80-pound birth weight. The total weight of a bovine pregnancy with fetus, fluids, and membranes at Kebbing ranges from 100 to 150 pounds total. Early in pregnancy, the placenta, organs, and limbs develop. Muscle fiber growth starts early as well. The number of fibers is largely determined by the seventh month of pregnancy in cattle. The size of the muscle fibers and formation of fat cells that produce marbling occur later in gestation. Nutrient restriction in late pregnancy can reduce the size of muscle fibers and formation of fat cells that produce marbling. While there's been no impact shown on birthing difficulty with increased muscle fiber size, these newborns do weigh more and will continue to weigh heavier through their life. As little as one pound of a 28% protein supplement per day during late gestation for cows grazing native range has been shown to be beneficial to calf weights and heifer performance. In unsupplemented cows, pregnancy rates were not reduced due to nutrition restriction. Not only is dam nutrition important for fetal development, but also for nurturing the newborn upon its arrival into the world. Research shows that mothers in good body condition have considerably higher valued colostrum, and the energy consumed by the mother will affect the vigor of the newborn. In goat herds, pregnancy toxemia is a condition to be avoided. This occurs when the pregnant doe uses more nutrients than she consumes, drawing heavily on body reserves. In general, energy requirements for a doe carrying a single kid increases 50% over her maintenance requirements, while twins increase her needs 75%. While feed costs are high, strategic supplementation will pay off in pounds of weaned livestock. Pay particular attention to first-time mothers that are growing themselves in addition to the fetus. To learn more about building rations for your herd, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office. 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's Davin Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report. This is a Davin Scrantz, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties, with your K-State Research and Extension Report. If you spend time around ponds and creeks, you may have seen signs indicating that beavers have been busily working building their dams, dens, and food catches. Other signs that beaver have been at work in the area include freshly cut trees, peeled branches, and the odor of a beaver's scent mound. At one time, beavers were the most sought-after natural resource in North America. Being highly sought-after in the 17 and 1800s for their dense fur. Through conservation efforts over the years, the beaver population has recovered 
and is to the point of overabundance in some areas. Today, beaver can be found on Kansas streams that have a water supply year-round. Beavers are the largest rodent in North America, commonly weighing between 40 and 60 pounds, and are easily identified by their flat, leathery tail and large, webbed hind feet, features that make them the rodent that is most fitted for life in the water. With feet that are suited for swimming and ears and nose that close when they are underwater. While the beaver's dense fur, ranging in color from tan to chocolate brown, made them once the most sought after rodent in North America, it also traps air which keeps the water off their skin and provides insulation from the frigid cold water during the winter. In Kansas, beavers most commonly build their dens where there are steep banks, building a den into the side of a river bank or pond dam. Beavers are herbivores and consume a diet consisting of different plants, grasses, forbs, and on occasion, agricultural crops. However, their preference for tree bark is what they are most associated with both positively and negatively. Beavers will use a variety of trees, but in Kansas, immature willows and cottonwoods are what they prefer. Commonly associated with felling trees, this allows beavers to eat the more nutritious branches in the canopy of trees. In addition to access to more nutritious food, felling trees also provide beaver with material to build their dam and food catch. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been a Dave and with your K-State Research and Extension report. Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. Now is the right time to prep for a spring garden and one important step is making sure your soil is fertile enough to grow plants. Plants have a set of nutrients that they need in order to survive separated into macronutrients and micronutrients. Macronutrients are elements that are required in large amounts. These include carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, and sulfur. You won't need to add any carbon, oxygen, or hydrogen to your soil as the plant gets these three nutrients from water and carbon dioxide. Nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium make up the bulk of fertilizers you can buy. You might recognize these from an NPK fertilizer analysis. Sometimes a fourth number will be included at the end. This will be any sulfur. Micronutrients are only required in small doses and are usually present enough in the soil that you will not need to fertilize for them. The eight micronutrients are manganese, iron, copper, zinc, boron, molybdenum, chlorine, and nickel. Because these elements are almost always in the soil, pH is a more likely culprit if your plants start showing deficiency symptoms. A soil test will determine if your soil pH is in a range where iron, zinc, magnesium, or boron are unavailable to the plants. A simple sulfur or urea application will free up some of these micronutrients, allowing the plant to take them up again. All plant nutrients are taken up into the plant as ions or charged particles. 
pH plays a factor in the availability of these ionic nutrients. Acid soils have a lot more positively charged hydrogen, which binds to negatively charged nutrients such as chlorine, sulfur, boron, and molybdenum. On the flip side, basic soils have more negatively charged hydroxide, which binds to positively charged nutrients like potassium, calcium, magnesium, iron, and zinc. Our soil parent material is limestone, which naturally forms a basic soil as it weathers. This is why the common nutrient deficiencies in our area are iron, zinc, and magnesium. Remember though, it's not because the micronutrients aren't there, but because the hydroxide ions are holding it hostage. Your soil texture also impacts the availability of nutrients to plants. Although clay soils get a bad rap, clay is a boon to nutrient retention. This is because clay particles are negatively charged and positively charged nutrients will stick to the clay instead of moving down the soil profile during rain or running off to a river or pond. This means that you can count on iron, manganese, zinc, phosphorus, calcium, and magnesium levels in your soil to remain very similar from year to year, minus what your plants remove for their own uses. Nitrogen fertilizers come in two different forms, ammonium, which carries a positive charge, and nitrate, which carries a negative charge. Because of their charges, nitrate is a mobile nutrient and you will experience greater losses in heavy rain. On the other hand, ammonium evaporates easily into the atmosphere, especially during high heat. If you are going to apply nitrogen multiple times during the growing season, starting with an ammonium fertilizer like urea will minimize fertilizer loss in our wet springs before switching to a nitrate-based fertilizer for our drier, hotter summers. This strategy will allow more nitrogen to remain in the soil where your plants need it. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.